Would you pray with me right now to open up as we open up our hearts to God's word. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for this time to be in your word right now. We ask that you'll speak to us, that you will use the book of Isaiah in our lives uh, to challenge us to walk in the light of your word and of your presence. And we pray this all in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I recently uh, was reading a book uh, called um, Defy, uh, Defying Jihad by Esther Ahmed. It tells the story of her indoctrination into radical Islam. Her and her father, she was living with uh, her parents. She was only 18 years old, but it was kind of a dysfunctional family. Her father had been radicalized in his in Islamic sect and... Uh, had kind of pushed away uh, Esther and hadn't really had a close relationship with her. So what she thought she would do to win his approval was she would become a jihadist and uh, volunteered to actually as a suicide bomber. She was accepted into the jihadist camp, was about to go there, and uh, just a few days, four days before that, She was saying her daily prayers, and she prayed eight times a day. And at 3.30 in the morning, she woke up, and she went to prayer. And when she went to prayer, she had a dream. She fell asleep, and she had a dream, and the dream was very vivid. In the dream, she was in a graveyard. She's in this graveyard, and it is dark. And she said, she described it as something of a soaked in darkness. She kept looking for an exit out of the graveyard, not wanting to step on any dead bodies or graves because that is unclean for a Muslim to do. And so she was very scared. And then she saw a light, a faint light, but becoming brighter and brighter. And not only was it a light, it was a person of light. And this person of light came up to her and said, Esther, Come, follow me. And she said she refused at first. And again, the man called, of, the man of light called her, Esther, come follow me. And she said, I'm sorry, my name is not Esther. It's Sahida Akbar. And he said, come, follow me. His voice was so calm and reassuring that she said she put away her fear and she began to follow this man of light. And as she followed this man of light, wherever he stepped, everything turned to light. And wherever he stepped, it became lifelike, like dead grass began to turn green and grow. And then when he stopped at a grave and spoke over it, the person that was in the grave came to light. And Esther, Zahida was her real name, but this man had called her Esther. I'm going to refer to her as Esther. He said, how can you speak giving life to dead people? And the figure said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then she said, but could you help me? Could you please help me get out of this graveyard? And then the man just put his hand on her shoulder. And in the dream, everything turned to light immediately. The graveyard was gone She was looking over a vast sea, a crystal clear sea, and then she turned around and she saw this translucent gold temple 
that she was so bright she could almost see through it. The, the view was beyond anything she had ever seen before, and then she woke up. And what was strange was that for the first time in her life, she felt tremendous peace. She had never felt this kind of peace whenever she had prayed before, whenever she had tried to pay uh, uh, you know, tribute to Allah or anything. But this peace was just so powerful, but she was confused because she had a dream about a graveyard which is unclean, and it wasn't supposed to. For, for Muslims, dreams mean uh, are very, very powerful ways that God communicates to them. So oftentimes when a Muslim has a dream, it really is significant. They'll have dream books. They'll try to figure out the dream. But she couldn't fully understand or comprehend this dream. So Esther um, remembered this dream. And the next day, uh, she was going about her business and her mother became gravely ill. I mean, so much in pain that they had to take her to the hospital. And Esther went with her to the hospital While they're at the hospital, she has to get blood work done in a lab. And she goes to the lab technician and greets him in a traditional way Muslims do, and he doesn't greet her back, praising Allah. And she goes, I can't believe you didn't greet me the way a Muslim should greet me. And he goes, because I'm not a Muslim, I'm a Christian. It was the first time she had met a Christian, and then he began to talk with her about why he was not a Muslim. And she goes, I could tell you, you should be a Muslim because you will have everything that you ever need if you become a Muslim. She was very, very trying to convince him to become a Muslim. And he says, well, I've never... He goes, I have salvation in Jesus Christ. And she goes, well, but Muhammad can give you salvation. And And he said, no, if you look in this book, in this chapter, in the Quran, it even says Muhammad did not understand where he was going after he died. She goes, that's not true. He goes, look it up when you get home. She goes, if it says that, I'll become a Christian. He goes, well, look it up. He says, if it doesn't say that, I'll become a Muslim. (laughs) So Esther was challenged. She went back home. She looked into the Quran. She looked at that chapter in the verse, and sure enough, it said exactly what that man had said. And she was taken back by it. And so she went the next day during she was in university. She went the next day to visit with him. And she started to carry on these conversations with him while he was on his break. And she called him up. She said, could I meet with you today? He goes, well, I can't meet today. I don't have a break. And and so she would, whenever he was available, she would go. And she began to seek after God. And eventually, Esther gave her life to Jesus Christ. And defying jihad is the story of what happened to Esther after that. But what I want to tell you is that God has always met people in the darkest place in their lives. In the most difficult places of their life, God will come and meet and reveal himself to them. And I'm sure he has done that to you. If you are here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's been some way that God has been knocking on the door of your heart wanting to come into your life and have a relationship with you and have such a relationship that it does bring you a peace, a sense of direction in your life. And that's God has always done that. Even the book of Isaiah, if you look at one of the themes of the book of Isaiah, it's taking people from darkness and bringing them into light. 
God has always been about that. Taking people from the darkest, most depressing, uh, despairing places in their life. Hope and a place of faith in Him. Isaiah 42, 16 says this, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known along unfamiliar paths. I'll guide them. I'll turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do and I will not forsake them. You see, Isaiah knew and understood that our God is a God, and it's not talking about probably physically blind people, it's spiritually blind people. Spiritually blind people uh, are often types of people that don't understand who God is, have never experienced His peace, never experienced His joy, or if they have, they've fallen away and they've walked into the darkness again, and so they become lost and confused. And the book of Isaiah says that God is on a search for people like that. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad that God seeks after when we're confused? when we're living in darkness. Isaiah 61, verse 1 says this. This was a a prophetic word about the coming Messiah and what he would say. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners. You see, spiritual darkness... Spiritual darkness can bring you into bondage, can bring you into such a place that you feel confined, almost like Esther felt in that dream, with no hope. Spiritual darkness is a deception that is prevalent in our world today. It always has been. Even in the time of Isaiah, it was there. In fact, Isaiah in chapter 5, verse 20 says, Woe to those who call... evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. You see, spiritual darkness is deceptive. What you think is light is actually leading you into darkness. And that's what's so confusing about spiritual darkness. When we walk away from God and His purpose and His plan and His word for us, we can actually walk into a dark time in our lives. And God wants us to come into the light. You see, when we are spiritually blinded to the truth of Christ or believe things contrary to what God's Word says, we can become blinded to the truth and begin to believe a lie that leads us to walk into spiritual darkness. So this is the time when we're going to be in Isaiah chapter... If you have your Bibles or if you have a device that you want to look at, you can. We're going to be in... Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 to 20. This is not a familiar passage. You probably have not read it much, but I want to start with this because the people in Isaiah's time were living in a time where God's judgment was coming from an Assyrian army. We talked about that last week. Isaiah received his call after King Uzziah had just died. He was a very good king, but then at the end of his reign, he kind of fell away from his faith. So then it became even a dark time for the people of Israel because they had stopped following after God. And so Isaiah has this call, but he also has this message that God has given him to share with people. And people have stopped turning towards God, His Word, and the temple worship. 
and they've turned over to seek after other truths or try to find spiritual insight from other ways. And, <clears throat> and, and during this time in their life, <clears throat> and this time in their history, when someone, they've started to consult mediums and spiritists, and when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who worship and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? What they had done was they began to seek after these mediums who claimed they could talk to the dead who would give them special wisdom and knowledge so that they could have understanding on what to do in the future. And people still do that today. I mean, you see it all along. If you go up and down Route 231, you'll see tarot card reader, fortune teller. There's houses there that people still go and people still try to get their fortune told that way. But I want to tell you, if you go down that path, it's a very dangerous path. Because it's interesting that I've talked to people that have consulted spiritists and mediums, and they do give you some sort of credibility. They have some sort of credibility where they can actually know something about you and your family, and then it makes you want to have more. And then you pay them again, and they give you a little bit more, and then they give you a little bit more, and pretty soon you're paying quite a bit of money that they're are not receiving from the Spirit of God, but from a demonic spirit. And pretty soon they're going to lead you, it will lead you into more and more darkness and despair rather than hope. And this is what was happening to the people of Israel. Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. And so... Isaiah was warning, he's saying, look at if you're going after this, it's not going to lead you into the revelation that you need the word of God to understand who you are in God and his purpose and his plan for your life. It'll actually lead you into darkness. Spiritual darkness. Isaiah then says the result of this, what would happen He said that distressed and hungry, they will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. And they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. You see, what happened to Esther was that she began to try to seek after approval for her father and actually ended up doing, uh, taking a step into the darker place of becoming a jihadist. They become a suicide bomber. And uh, so what happens is, and then she was blaming God for the way her father was. And he wasn't really uh, a good man. He himself was deceived. And so she was going into a darker and darker place of hopelessness. Just keeps on uh, giving different weird sounds, doesn't it? Keeping you awake, okay. Although Isaiah was describing the spiritual climate of his day, it's still true today. People, when they reject the laws of God and the ways of God, 
and try to depend upon themselves or something else rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ, what happens is disturbing to the soul. The Bible calls it walking in spiritual darkness or deception. You see, our personhood, we were designed, God designed our soul so that we could find our passion of the soul met in Him. So we do want acceptance. Relationship with God. We do want to have purpose and significance, but it comes in a relationship with God. We do want to have security. We want to have a sense of safety, like we have a net that's under us. And that comes in the security of God, in the everlasting arms of God. He will hold you up in a time of distress. It's not the 401k. It's not our finances. It's not the thing that's going to hold you up. The thing that's going to hold you up is your relationship with God. And I was thinking about this. You know, we were having our men's uh, prayer meeting on Tuesday morning. If you're a man here, you can come any Tuesday morning, 730. We have a gathering. And after every time we gather, we have a short time of prayer. And in the prayer time, we were studying about the passions of the soul. And that's one of the things that we've been studying. And I just got a picture. I didn't share this with the men because we didn't have time because everybody had to leave at 830. You know, we try to get out at 830. But I had a picture, and it was a picture of solar panels. Now, solar panels, when you point them to the sun, they recharge. They are full of energy, right? Well, our solar panels, our solar passions, solar being S-O-U-L-R, soul, our passions, need to be pointed to Christ. And those needs, those three panels for acceptance significance and security are going to be energized and satisfied through this relationship with Christ. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said in John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. And so Jesus was talking about having a sense of direction purpose, spiritual wisdom, and light so that you can understand who you are and where you're supposed to go in this world. And when we're walking in darkness, people actually become angry. And a lot of times we shake our fist at God when things don't go right. And God says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. Whoever comes to the Father... No one can come to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Jesus was saying, I am the one. And it's interesting because Esther, when she began to read the Bible, and she told the dream to that lab technician and told all the details of it, he said, Esther, do you know what, what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look here in the Bible. And he turned to John 14, 6, and he says, there it is. It's right there. You know who met you in that dream? It's Jesus. He's the man of life. He's the man of life. And she gave her heart to the Lord when she went back home. I'll always remember a young man named Dennis who at the age of 17 was riding his bike in the streets of Newark 
In the 1980s, he was hit by a car and ended up in a hospital paralyzed. And needing a blood transfusion, he got a blood transfusion. He contracted AIDS from the blood transfusion. It was a tainted blood supply. It was back when they could they were just discovering that horrible disease, AIDS. And didn't know that the blood was tainted. He had received it. He had contracted AIDS. He was also paralyzed. His sister started coming to our church. She said, Pastor, you've got to come and meet with my brother. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to kill himself or what, but he just found out he has AIDS. He, he was hit by a car, and he's waiting on a lawsuit. He's suing the driver, and he's waiting for a million-dollar lawsuit. Can you come and visit him? And I went and visited Dennis, and Dennis was, you know, he was in a wheelchair, and he was um, kind of had given up on life. And I said, Dennis, is there anything I can pray for you for? He said, yeah, pray that the lawsuit comes through. It was all that was on his mind. I I need that money. So we prayed with him. I tried to share the gospel with him. He didn't want anything to do with the gospel. He said, it's so unfair what happened to me. How could you even claim, you know, try to tell me that there is a God if this is what happened to me? And so I did not press that with him. I said, I'll pray. I'll pray that the lawsuit comes through. Months later, I got a call from his sister. She goes, Dennis is in the hospital. She says, can you go and see him? I went up and saw him. And Dennis, at this time, was emaciated. He was on his deathbed. He was hallucinating. He was hallucinating. He was seeing these dark creatures coming and attacking him. And there was nobody in the room. I I couldn't see anything. I tried to pray for him, but he couldn't even hear it. And I walked out of that hospital room so discouraged, I went down in my car and I said, God, I don't understand. You had me meet this man. His sister comes to our church. He's, everything's gone wrong for him. There's something you could do for him. I just pray, Lord, that he'll come to know you. That he'll be released out of this darkness that he's in and so I decided to go back the next day I really sensed the spirit of God saying go back tomorrow morning so I went back the next morning I went in his hospital room and Dennis is like laying there in bed with this big smile on his face I said Dennis how are you doing I'm doing wonderful Al you would not believe what happened to me Last night, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I saw these creatures coming after me, and the only thing I could think of was to call on Jesus. And I called on Jesus. I said, Jesus, please save me. And he goes, everything just left. The darkness left. And I sensed the presence of God like I never have before. And I just cried out to him. I said, Lord, please forgive me my sin. And he he forgave me. I know he's forgiven me. I said, Dennis, that is fantastic. That's wonderful news that God would meet you here in this hospital room. And he goes, I, he goes I'm so excited. He goes, I don't care about the money anymore. He had gotten the money. In fact, he had gotten the money a couple months before that. And he had some friends that also came around him. And what they did is they just loaded him up with cocaine. And they would have these cocaine parties and they spent a lot of the money just snorting cocaine. 
And Dennis had gotten so weak that he had ended up in this hospital room. He says, you know, I just hope my family is going to be safe. Would you pray with me? And I said, Dennis, why don't you pray? And so he began to pray. And he said, Lord, I thank you that all things work together for those that are called according to your purpose. To those that love you, that are called according to your purpose. I thank you, Lord God, that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. That death can't separate me. That this sickness can't separate me. That angels or demons, they, nothing can separate. He started praying chapter 8 in Romans. And when he got done, I said, Dennis. I said, have you been reading the Bible? He goes, no, I've never read the Bible before. I said, Do you know? I said let me show you what you just prayed. I turned to Romans chapter 8 in the Bible and I gave it to him. And he had prayed Romans 8, almost word for word. I said, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you praying the word of God through you. And I want you to know God loves you and he accepts you. And you're his. And death can't separate you. The next day I got a call from his sister. Dennis had gone to be with the Lord. And she goes, you know, Pastor Al, the one thing that happened I was there in the room, and Dennis looked at that same wall that he was, that same window he was looking at that he saw these dark creatures and these demons coming for him. He looked at that same window and the wall where that window was on, and he said, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I'm sorry, but I want to go. I want to go and be with the Lord. They're coming for me. And I'm, I'm sure he was talking about the angels and the Lord coming for him. And Dennis slipped right into eternity and right into the presence of God. You see, God is always on the search for his people. And even in the darkest of times, even when it seems totally hopeless, God still has a purpose and he still has a plan. That's why I tell people, you don't know what's happening in the hospital room. <laughs> a lot of people know what's going on. And people will say, oh, it's so unfair. You know, that person died without Christ. I'll say, yeah, they might have. But you don't know. We'll know when we get to heaven. But there's times when God will meet somebody in their darkest time if they'll call out to him. There's a Barna research group interviewed over a million 18 to 25-year-olds trying to find out why so many people are leaving the faith, Christianity. Why are so many 18 to 25-year-olds going away to college, never coming back to church? Why are so many saying, I'm done with church, I'm done with Christianity? That's the end. And they did a this research, Barna is very well known for their research, but they noticed three things. One, there's a greater access ever to dark websites, mainly pornography. They say that pornography can begin at the average age is 11 years old. People viewing pornography. That was unheard of back when I was a teenager or 11 years old. There's no way that you could get a hold of pornography 
Not the kind that they're seeing these days on the internet. There's also dark websites, the false ideologies that lead people. The YouTube actually algorithm leads you to one YouTube that substantiates another YouTube that substantiates another theory on the thing that you're thinking of and it leads you to a darker and darker and darker and darker place. That's why people are getting radicalized in Islam through the website. They know that. Then there's a greater skepticism and a mistrust of authority. More than any time in our society, there's a skepticism of authority. You can't trust what people are saying. You can't trust the news. You can't trust the government. You can't trust this. And so there's a lack of trust. And then there's a greater sense of alienation. More and more young people feel alienated, like I'm alone. I'm in this by myself. And so they feel isolated, alienated. And all of these things lead to spiritual darkness. So Barna concluded, Barna Research concluded that that, these are three main reasons why people are falling away from the faith. And it's just not 18 to 25-year-olds. I talk to people that have been walking with the Lord for years And all of a sudden they'll say, I'm no longer a Christian. I don't want to believe anymore. And what happened? They began to believe a lie that led them down into darkness, that led them into bondage, that led them into a place of cynicism, skepticism, and now they're no longer following God. But there's hope. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2, and the next verses here, these are very familiar verses because they're quoted in the New Testament. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, they sound like Narnia or something like that, don't they? But actually, that's northern Israel. It's right near Syria. It's right near um, where Jesus grew up, Nazareth. And the Sea of Galilee. But in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness, they've seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. Remember that they would, when you're rejecting God, you have no light of dawn? Well, here a light has dawned. What Isaiah was speaking about was the land of Israel that one day there would come someone who would be full of light and full of life, the Messiah, and he would preach throughout the land and people would respond. And that's exactly where Jesus was born. Isaiah wrote this 750 years before Jesus was born. And the gospel writer Matthew picks up on it and in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 6, it says, when, John heard, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death, Death, a light has dawned. Those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And what Jesus does 
It says right there, after the, in the account of Matthew, Jesus went around healing people, the lame. And he strengthened them. And he healed them. He called farmers, fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes to come and follow him. And he called them out of darkness into his light. He called them out of despair into hope. He called them out of fear into courage. And he does the same thing today. If we'll turn to him. You know what he said to Peter? He said, Peter, you've been fishing for people. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. We talked about that last week. The calling of God on a person's life is so powerful. When you have a calling from God, just like Esther Ahmed did, coming to Christ, her life was transformed. Because God called her. Just like Dennis did, even only one day of his life, but he was full of joy and peace and ready to go into eternity. Because Jesus had called him. He does the same thing today. He still comes today through the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives, opening our spiritual eyes and hearts to understand who he is. If that happens, that's a miracle. Let me tell you, that's a miracle. If, you've, if your, eye, your spiritual eyes have been opened to the truth about who Jesus Christ is, you're a living miracle. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. How do you take action steps to move from darkness to light? Number one, walk in the light again. 1 John 1, verse 5 through 7 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Walk in the light. Walk in the light of God's presence. Walk in the light of his truth. And the other thing is, if you've been walking in the dark, we need to repent of the dark ways. Whether that's pornography, whether that's deep skepticism, whether it's cynicism towards the Bible or the church or Jesus Christ. And begin to embrace the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When we begin to embrace the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it makes all the difference in our life. But if we ignore or resist that and begin to walk in other ways, we can go down a dark road. The third thing is is to remain in him and his word. You know what Esther Abid did? She read a portion of the Bible every day. She read a chapter from the Old Testament. She read a psalm or a proverb, and then she read a chapter from the New Testament. Within a year, she had read through the Bible, and then she got done, and she read it again. And along that way, she became understanding of who God was. It's a process. As you begin to walk in the light, you're going to gain a greater knowledge and an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, how the Holy Spirit works, and how He wants you to respond. So I I encourage you to remain in his word. This is what Psalm says. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. God's word, his word, when we begin to read it and study it and understand it, it becomes a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. 
He said this, Jesus said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Prayer, prayer becomes a reality. God begins to answer prayer. How many people have God answer prayer in your life? Raise your hand. You know that. Isn't that exciting? That the God who created the whole universe listens to our prayers and responds. Wow. And then Revelations 3.20 says, God doesn't just want us to treat him as somebody who just only answers our prayers, but actually has a relationship with us. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And the reason Jesus used the word eat with me wasn't because he came to Long Island Alliance Church and we all like to eat. That's not the reason. It's because it's a covenant meal. In a covenant meal, what was happened was that a, an animal was sacrificed and that animal represented, if you broke the covenant, you would end up like that animal. You made a, you made a promise to each other in a human covenant. You made a promise to each other that you would not break that covenant. And then you celebrated that with a meal together. And so you would eat together. And it was called the covenant meal. And that's a beautiful picture Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to have this deep relationship with us because he's the one that gave himself as a sacrifice to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him and have this relationship that is real and understanding. He understands you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Isn't that great to know that God fully knows us, fully understands us, and he still loves us? Even our darkness, he understands it. Even our struggles, he understands that. And he's wanting us to walk in the light and come to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now and we thank you that you bring us from darkness into light. And that the words that Isaiah wrote, you still speak life through them to us. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you work in Esther's life and how she wrote this book and told her story and how it ministers to so many people. Thank you for Dennis and, Lord, how he's in your kingdom now, up in heaven, and he's not thinking about a lawsuit. He's not thinking about how unfair it was, the things that happened to him. But he's rejoicing that you saved him, and your mercy and your love washed over all his sin. He's in your very presence now. Thank you, Lord, for so many ways you bring us from darkness into your light. Lord, help us to walk in your light even this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.